Hello, good souls of vision. I'm Maggie Whitehouse, and I'm sure I've been more than adequately introduced to you. We met, oh, 18 months ago now when I came to San Diego, and it was lovely to meet all of you, and I wish I could meet you directly again, but hey, here we are. So, the tapestry of life is our talk. Now, you'll see behind me there are two diagrams. These are known as the Tree of Life and Jacob's Ladder, the one yeah, it's Jacob's Ladder. Not quite sure which direction to go in there. And they are to do with Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical tradition that I've studied for the last quarter century. Oh, quarter century. And now teach. And they are a loom or a scaffolding or a skeleton on which the weave of creation is made. And in a way, they're the blueprint for creation. They're part of the patterns of the universe. The whole of the universe is a mathematical thing, which is terrifying for me because I'm rubbish at maths. But once you understand these two diagrams, and don't worry, I'm not going to be telling you that much about them today, so you don't have to worry about it. Once you understand these two diagrams, you actually see that the weave is everywhere in all of creation, in humanity, in nature, in the planet, in the solar system, in the universe itself. The one, that side, no, that side, <laughs> we keep doing this in the mirror. This one is the whole of the universe in creation. And you can see that it's very similar to DNA. And the point of it is that once it's a scaffolding or a loom, you can start to learn how the weave of life works. And I want to start off by reading you a couple of texts. One is very modern, one is very ancient. But the Jacob's Ladder issue, the Jacob's Ladder issue diagram here, is also a diagram of the first temple, the Hebrew temple, and the four levels in the temple of earth, water, air and fire. Each one of those had an archangel allotted to it. So each court of the temple, the white was the Holy of Holies, the blue was the court of the priests, the purple below the blue was the court of the women where all the families went, the actual people who were part of Israel, and the red one was the court of the Gentiles where anybody, whether you were Jewish or not, could attend. By the way, if you hear some odd noises in the background, we've got a new dog, so she's not very used to my filming stuff, and she may jump up or squeak, so please, well, adore her if you want to, or ignore her. So this weave of life is fourfold, and you find it throughout the Bible in these four colours and these four patterns, and there's no coincidence that there are four Gospels. The four Gospels are very distinct. There's the three synoptics, which are the three lower worlds on Jacob's Ladder, and the top one, which is the Gospel of John, which is the divine. So Matthew is the Gospel of physical nature, physical genealogy of Jesus. That's the one that has the lineage of Joseph, even though Jesus is born of Mary and the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of Luke is the one that's purple, the psychological one. It shows how Jesus is developing as a human into the messianic presence that he became. The Gospel of Luke is the spiritual one, the area of air. And Luke is outside the tribe. Both Matthew and Mark are quite tribal Gospels, but Luke rises above the tribe. And you can tell that by all the teachings that Jesus has about the women. There are 19 teachings about women in the Gospel of Luke and only four or five in the other Gospels. And the Gospel of John is the Gospel of the Divine, where Jesus takes on the mantle of Christ. Christ 
to the mystic, to the Kabbalist, is not totally associated with Jesus. Christ is creation. It's the only begotten of the divine, which is the whole pattern of creation. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking as the only begotten, as creation itself, as the cosmic force of life, chi you might want to call it, and creation. It was personified in Jesus and may well have been personified in other souls as well. But Christ is bigger. And Jesus makes that very clear when he says in the Gospel of John, where he's speaking the great I am phrases, the seven I am phrases. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection. I am the the good shepherd. And in all of these times, he says, Ego Amy, I am, I am, which is the ultimate name of the divine given to Moses in Exodus. I am, I am. And he says, Before Abraham was, I am, which means that the Christos existed before Abraham. The Christos goes back to the very beginning of creation. And in the prologue to the Gospel of John, Jesus uh, is described as the word. In the beginning was the word. But a better translation of the Greek logos is blueprint. So the Christ is the blueprint of all creation. And these two diagrams are scaffolding of the blueprint. They're nothing to do with any religion, although Kabbalah has been kept very safe within Judaism. So I want to read you a couple of passages to talk about patterns, tapestry, how we build a tapestry onto these diagrams. And we are a tapestry ourselves. We've all got skeletons. The human skeleton is very similar to every mammalian skeleton and even the skeletons of reptiles. We've got the front legs, the hind legs, the backbone, the head, and we've also got the tail, the coccyx in humanity. So we're all the same scaffolding. It's what is woven onto it and into it, which is important. This is a lovely poem by Mother Mary Clare of the Sisters of the Love of God, who this is an Anglican convent in the United Kingdom. And she, she writes, We must try to understand the meaning of the age in which we are called to bear witness. We must accept the fact that this is an age in which the cloth is being unwoven. It's therefore no good trying to patch. We must rather set up the loom on which coming generations may weave new cloth according to the pattern God provides. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why so much teaching of ancient days is coming forward again. We're re-embracing shamanism. We're even re-embracing witchcraft. I do a regular podcast with our local witch. We call it Wise Women, the Vicar and the Witch. And Susie Crockford and I pretty much agree on absolutely everything. When you get down to understanding the language, the weave of the words that we use, she would call the divine the great mother. I might call it the great father, but we both understand that this is a weaving of the divine masculine and feminine working together. Now, there's plenty of weaving in the Bible. There's plenty of weaving in the mystical texts. And it's really important to understand that this weave is an aspect of the divine feminine. The beginning of the Bible in Genesis is quite clear that it's the Elohim who creates the heavens and the earth. And Elohim is a feminine noun with a masculine plural ending. We don't actually know exactly what was intended 
in those days because the Hebrew Bible is now set in stone. There's only one text in Hebrew from which all the Jewish nation works. It was formulated after the diaspora at the end of the Jewish nation when the Romans sacked the temple and the Jewish folk started to leave the Holy Land. Um, Oh, I've lost my crane of thought there, but I'm going to keep on going with it and see how we go. But this weave is there all the way through and it is linked to the feminine. In fact, Origen, one of the early church fathers who believed in the pre-existence of souls and therefore was made anathema in about the 5th century, but is now studied again, all this old stuff, good stuff coming out again, he was looking at the Septuagint, which is an earlier version of the Hebrew Testament, but written in Greek. And he said one of the valid translations of the first line, which we have in the Hebrew as, in the beginning the Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He says a valid translation from the Greek, which is an earlier text, is by means of the net or the web the Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So again, that's this idea of a scaffolding or a tapestry. And Jew Jewish mysticism calls this the Pargod. We might call it the Akashic record, but the Pargod is the tapestry of creation. And every single life, not just a human life, maybe aliens as well, we don't know. We really don't know how many folk of any persuasion there may be in the universe. But every one of us is a thread in that tapestry and if a thread breaks then the weave of that tapestry is affected and when a thread breaks other threads about it are weakened and may also break so that's why everything that we do everything that we do matters if you've read the book cloud atlas or seen the movie there's a wonderful scene at the end when the disbelieving slave trader says to his son-in-law, who's planning to work for the emancipation of slavery, he, the son says, I want to do everything I can. And the father-in-law says, everything you do will just be a drop in the ocean. And the son-in-law replies, yes, but what is the ocean but a multitude of drops? So never doubt that every time you pick up a piece of litter, every time you do a bit of recycling, every time you buy from a local shop instead of buying something encased in plastic from the supermarket, it counts. Also, what counts is every time that we don't. So every action we take matters to the tapestry of creation. Everything matters. You matter. Every decision you make matters. When I was married to a Jewish guy many years ago, we used to do the Sabbath Eve service. And that's where the woman, the feminine, a man can do it, but he uses the feminine aspect in him, lights the light to draw down Shekinah, the presence of the divine into the home. And only the feminine can do that. That is the receptive aspect of all of us. If you want to refer to it as yin and yang, that's probably much better because the feminine is in men and women, as in the masculine is in women and men. It isn't the feminine is a woman and the masculine is a man. We're far more complex than that. And we're beginning to see that in the new weave of the world with transgender folk and more gay folk coming forward. And all this gender fluidity, which to us may seem very strange, but to the Native Americans, wasn't. Some of the tribes had up to 12 genders for folk because they knew that each individual was a weave of their own.
We got very, very closed down at the time of what's called the Enlightenment. <laughs> Interesting irony. The name of the Enlightenment when science and rationality became far more important than mysticism. And science and rationality, well, they're very good. That's absolutely fine. But they're only one side of the cosmic pattern. The weave, the mysticism, is the other side of the cosmic pattern. And if you look at the Tree of Life and Jacob's Ladder, you'll see there's a central column and there are two side columns. And the side columns have to be brought together in the central column to make the weave balanced. And the Enlightenment unbalanced the weave. It brought a lot of good things in, but it also brought this idea that the mystic teaching is not true. The mystic teaching is the perennial truth. It's the allegory in the story, the weave of life. And you can see that all the way through the Hebrew and the New Testament. You don't necessarily take them literally. The literal interpretation would be the physical one. There's also the allegory, which is the psychological one, the spiritual weave, which is the metaphysical one, and the divine weave, which is the mystical one. So we're not meant to read the Bible on one level. We're meant to weave our understanding through it. And this quotation that my Jewish husband used to read to me after I had lit the lights in honour of the Sabbath on a Friday night is from the book of Proverbs. And it's about the divine feminine. It's about the divine feminine in a human woman. But the divine feminine can also be in a human man as well. So this is the reading that a husband would write, read to his wife after she had lit the candles and before he then had blessed the wine and the bread. From the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. A woman of worth who can find, for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he shall have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. This is the weave. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises when it's still dark and sets forth provision for her household and their portion for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength and makes good her arms. She perceives that her earnings are good. Her lamp goes not out by night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yes, she puts her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes for herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is linen and purple. Let me just stop there. White linen. <laughs> I can't get this right. White linen and purple. And covers herself with tapestry. This is a metaphor for clothing herself in all of the patterns of creation. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. That means she brings through the divine the white, the clear light of the divine, and passes them on. She delivers girdles to the merchant. Strength and majesty are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the law of loving kindness is on her tongue. 
She looks well to the ways of her household. That's all of her own psyche as well as her household. This because this is a metaphor. She looks well to the ways of her habits and the way she lives in the world. And she eats not the bread of idleness. Her children, her projects, rise up and call her blessed. Her husband too. And he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done worthily, but you excel them all. Faither is false and beauty is vain. But a woman who respects and loves the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So as you can see, the metaphor of weaving goes through these texts. And you can find it if you're looking for it in the Bible. And it's the weave of how the divine holds all of creation together. And our part as that thread in the tapestry is so important. When we talk of Mary, mother of Jesus, there's the infancy gospel of Philip, which is one of the Nag Hammadi scrolls, which says that Mary was weaving in the temple when the archangel Gabriel came to her. The infancy gospel says that Mary was known as a pure and cleansed woman. The word virgin, Parthenon, just means a woman of great purity and that she was raised in the temple up until purity up until puberty, when it was known that she was going to have a special work to do, which was become the mother of Jesus, who personified the Christ. But she was weaving. So the divine feminine is always about the weaving of the pattern of life. And once we know that there's a pattern, once we understand that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction, which is Isaac Newton, one of the founders of the Enlightenment, of course, it wasn't all bad. Uh, we have to get this balance, this balance between the rational and the mystical, holding them together in the centre. And basically what I'm going to do for the rest of my time is tell you stories about this pattern of creation and how I've experienced them in my life. And in a way, it's to teach us how this law of attraction that we're so often taught about works. Because how we hold ourselves, how we present ourselves, how we live our life sends a message up into spirit. And spirit matches it. It matches our emotions and our thoughts because spirit and the physical world are reflections of thoughts and feelings. We are children of the creator. We co-create. When it comes to nature, and that's incredibly important at the moment, my bishop has just written a new book called Restoring Eden, which is how to work with the spirits of nature. I really recommend it. It's absolutely amazing. It's only just published, so I don't know if you can find it on Amazon yet, but I do recommend it. He talks about how you re-establish the weave, the relationship with nature spirits. Now, this is a bishop. You know, this is a Christian bishop. So the weave is coming back of melding, if you want to call the witchcraft or the shamanism of the land with the spirituality of faith. Because the earth is our mother. The earth is a sentient being. The earth has her own angel and all around creation are angels, divas and nature spirits. And they are the ones that create the growth and the dieback of nature. Every single herb, every single plant has its own fairy. There's a bit in the Talmud, the commentary on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that says that every single plant has a little spirit urging it to grow, grow, grow. For us, that would be our guardian angel. 
And these spirits are of all different sizes and shapes. And if you've ever heard of a place called Findhorn in Scotland, that's where three people, Peter and Eileen Caddy, and a lady called Dorothy, whose surname I've forgotten for the moment, but I'm sure you can look her up, all went to a very rough, barren part of Scotland and created a spiritual centre. And they created it by speaking with the nature divas. And this is what we need to do to reclaim our world. The problems with climate change can not only be addressed by fewer bits of plastic or by casting out less uh, pollution. They can be healed by our talking to spirit, which weaves this creation. We aren't talking to the divas. We aren't talking to the fairies. We aren't talking to the pixies or the gnomes. We aren't communicating with them anymore. Therefore, as our neglect adds to our greed, the planet becomes depleted, but we can talk to them. We can reweave everything on our planet by invoking and blessing the spirits. Last time I spoke to you, I was on Dartmoor and I talked to you a little bit about this, but it's so important. It's so important. Every morning when you get up, when you look out of the window or go outside, say good morning to the Great Mother the great creative force. The great mother is the aspect of the divine that created. Yahweh, the God that we know of, only turns up in the second chapter of Genesis when humanity is created. And I don't think that the Elohim was just wasting her time knitting, well, knitting, of course, is a form of weaving, um, before humanity turned up. No, she was totally involved in creation itself. And each level of creation has its own divas. So your area, wherever you live, will have an overarching angel. The Japanese call them the kami, the angel, the presence, the divine presence of an area. Every tree has a naiad or spirit. Every river has a dryad or spirit. So all these different grades of creation, creation creatures, spiritual creatures are out there and they will listen to us and they will speak to us because all the angels understand that we are co-creators with the divine. They listen and they do what we tell them. They provide our food for us willingly. So how we respond to that on the tapestry of creation is by honouring what's known as the honourable harvest. Another book I heartily recommend to you is Braiding Sweetgrass. Again, I can't remember the name of the author. Oh, should have looked that up before I turned up, shouldn't I? Braiding Sweetgrass, you can find it. It's by a lady who's a PhD in botany and also a Native American. And she has talked about the honourable harvest. And this is so valuable. Basically, you never take anything without appreciation. And of course, in Christianity and in many other faiths, this is about blessing our food. We don't realise that all this stuff that sometimes seems to be such boring, we have to thank God for everything, why do we have to thank God for everything, is about actually appreciating the fact that this planet and the very air we breathe gives to us unceasingly. The sun never comes up and says, you owe me. And we don't have to thank, but it's good for 
us to thank because it means we start to be in communion with nature and communion with the divine at all different levels. So the way to honour the honourable harvest, which is the reweaving of creation, is to thank. If you pick blackberries, leave a few grains of oatmeal on the ground in reciprocation. That's the honourable harvest. When you gather, ask whether the fruit or the vegetables are ready to be picked and start getting your weave of consciousness so that you ask a plant if you may pick it and listen. It'll take a little while probably but actually the spirit of that plant will say to you yes you may take me or no I'm not ready. Please try this, it's magical. To start with, you probably won't hear, but if you pull something up, you'll soon get the in the inkling if it was ready or not, because you'll get the aftermath of it being pulled up. Either there'll be pleasure, because it's going to its purpose, which is to feed animals and humans, or there will be a slight knockback feeling that it wasn't ready to come. You'll be absolutely amazed when you try this. Also, what you do is you never take the first fruits, and you never take the last fruits. So, for example, we're just past the blackberrying time and you know, it's fall time, so there's not that much to pick. But if you come upon an apple tree, you don't take the first fruit you see. You ask permission and take some of the other fruit you see and you never denude the whole apple tree. You allow the apple tree to feed the others. I've done some foraging this year. I've been picking a plant called self-heal and another one called plantain and been making a healing salve, which is very good for insect bites. And when I first went looking for self-heal, I went out on dog walks and looked for it absolutely everywhere. And then I found one plant and I remembered not to pick that plant, even though I wanted to. Went on walking, didn't find any other plants, was really disappointed, but held to it because taking that first plant is symbolically unweaving. Unweaving. So didn't do that. And what I did do instead was come right home and find that self-heal grew in my very own garden. That is the way God connects with us. You go looking, believing and honouring and the divine repays. If you go angry and grasping and grabbing, wanting more, 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 then angry, anger and grasping and grabbing will come back to you. So let us follow the honourable harvest. Let us heal our beautiful planet. Let us honour God herself, the Elohim, the creatrix of the universe, by following the honourable harvest. So that's your homework for the week. Thank you so much for listening to me. We didn't actually get to too many stories, but I think you've probably done, we've had enough. So follow the honourable harvest. When you shop, choose the second packet, not the first one, just to teach you. Carry just a little bag in your pocket. And there's my phone, which is telling me exactly that it's time to stop. Thank you. God bless you all. And it's a delight to speak with you again. And I hope we'll get to speak in future. Bye-bye.